0: Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 3 of the Quadcast. My name is John McAlevey. For those of you new, this is a podcast which is mainly for and about folks like me who have had their lives affected by a spinal cord injury, but is really for anyone who just wants to be inspired. I launched this venture a few years back with the hopes that it could serve as a 30 to 45 minute session of OT and PT for the soul. It has been some time since my last show, and a lot has happened in the interim. First and foremost, I lost a dear friend. Thomas Tommy Bubba T. Cox was a small man in stature, but a giant in reality. I first met him back in 1981 as a student at Milburn Junior High School, and we have been friends ever since. Unfortunately, seven years ago, T himself had a devastating spinal cord injury, his the result of a wakeboarding accident. I remember getting the call to come visit him on his first day at Kessler Institute in West Orange. It was hard to see my friend in such a fragile state. If ever there was anyone who had the right to feel sorry for themselves or to complain about their lot in life following his accident, it was Tommy. But never, And I mean never did I ever hear him once do so. Instead, whenever anyone visited him with the hopes of trying to keep his spirits up, he would turn the tables on us with a quick joke and a warm smile. He always made us feel better about ourselves, and that was amazing and admirable. We lost T far too soon, and I miss him greatly. There is, however, a part of me that is happy for the fact that he is no longer struggling and in so much pain all the time. He is free of his wheelchair and unencumbered once again. Rest in peace, T. Cox. I love you, my friend. Another big development is that the kid here had COVID. I woke up one morning a month or so ago with a nose running like a faucet and decided to take a rapid test. I was shocked to see that it was positive, and at the urging of my doctors, I went and received the monoclonal antibody infusion, which took all of about 15 seconds. Luckily for me, my bout with this menace did nothing more than knock out my sense of taste and smell for a few days. I don't know where I got it, but I'm just glad that it didn't get me in the end. And now for a in the wonder service dog update. He swam in the Atlantic Ocean a few weeks ago. I had heard from his puppy raisers that he enjoyed the beach, rivers, lakes, pools, any body of water, that is. And boy, were they right. The minute he saw the ocean when we got up on the sand, it was all over. Thankfully, my awesome niece and nephew, Megan and Charlie, took control and were with him every step of the way. I look forward to many more trips down the Jersey Shore and building memories of Yokes chasing his ball and riding in some gnarly waves. And now on to today's program. I am an avid Twitter follower, mostly for sports. I enjoy keeping up with college basketball recruiting, mostly for my beloved Providence College Friars. However, since I have gotten into the podcasting business, I have taken to following people who are in one way or another working on behalf of the spinal cord injured community. One such account is Spinalpedia. Back in 2007, its creator, Josh Basil, put together the world's largest paralysis video mentoring network with 23,000 videos searchable by physical functionality. Spinalpedia mentors thousands of families impacted by paralysis annually. Their specific programs provide one-on-one mentoring and navigation supports for newly injured families and workers with disabilities along with their disability employment journey. Spinalpedia organizes and sponsors activities and sports to get families out of their homes and back into the community. If that wasn't enough, Josh is also a medical malpractice lawyer and disability rights advocate who serves persons with disabilities both in the courtroom and through policy initiatives. He is a community leader and changemaker who works tirelessly to improve the quality of life for people with disabilities and to continuously break down existing barriers to access and inclusion. Josh Basil is my guest this week, and following this PSA from the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation, he will be here. And that, my friends, is next. Did you know that one in every 50 Americans is living with some form of paralysis? The Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation wants to change that. They are dedicated to discovering cures for spinal cord injury— By funding innovative research and improving the quality of life and health for all people living with paralysis. Make a difference, change a life, and redefine what it means to live with paralysis by joining the Reeve Foundation today. For more information, visit ChristopherReeve.org. The Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. Today's care, tomorrow's cure. And welcome back to the show. Remember, you can find all of my previous episodes on my website, which is www.quadcast.org. And now it is my pleasure to introduce Josh Basil to the program. Josh, welcome and thank you for coming on.
1: It's great to be here today and thank you for inviting me on the show.
0: I have been following you on Twitter for many moons now, and I'm so glad to finally have the opportunity to chat with you and get information about your amazing organization out there to the public. You know, Josh, one thing I usually like to do with my shows is begin at the beginning because I know that the spinal cord injuries that we have endured do not in any way define who we were or really who we are. So why don't we start there at the start? Tell us, where did you grow up? And what were some things that you enjoy doing as a young person?
1: So I was born in North Carolina, and uh, my dad was uh, just finishing medical school and then joined the Air Force. So the first four years of my life, I was traveling from East Coast to West Coast, living near different Air Force bases. And then we finally settled down in the suburbs of Maryland, right outside Washington, D.C. So I've been there since the, the early 90s. Um, and I was a very active child. uh, Sports, chasing after girls and living, loving and playing was kind of my childhood and into my teenage years. And then, uh, after I finished my freshman year of college, um, I ended up having a spinal cord injury. And, um, that day changed my life forever. I was, uh, I was on a family vacation at the beach. Uh, I was in waist high water and this was, August 1st, 2004, so 18 years ago, um, at the age of 18, um, I was in the water, a wave picked me up, and then threw me over my boogie board and slammed me on my head, and I just remember hearing a loud crack, mm. and immediately could not move anything, and I was face down in the water, uh, unable to move, and unable to scream for help, and... Luckily, my friends on the beach saw me floating and they grabbed me and pulled me to shore and kind of a start to the, a new life. I had a reset button that day.
0: Without a doubt, a new life, no doubt. Tell us uh, where on the beach, where were you? Was it in the ocean? Where were you uh, at the time?
1: Yeah, I was, I was about probably about um, like 50 to 70 feet into the water uh, and uh just where the waves were breaking I was I was boogie boarding mm-hmm. but I one particular wave I kind of turned my back to the ocean yeah and my my friends were playing football on the beach I got a little distracted sure and just that that wave kind of picked me up it took me off guard and kind of slammed me straight on my head and mm. my head hit wet sand which is just as hard as concrete so it was a it was a fight that my my I wasn't ever going
0: to win. Yeah. You know, Josh, I grew up in New Jersey here and and spent many, many vacations down at the Jersey Shore and doing a ton of body surfing. I never actually got up on the surfboard, but just did a lot of body surfing. And, you know, I can remember putting my hands out in front of me, putting my hands out in front of me. And there were a couple of times that, as you you well stated, the wave is just going to dictate what's going to happen. And I remember I had gotten dumped a few times, but... There, bare by uh, by the grace of God, I had had my hands out in front of me, and I remember jamming my fingers into the bottom a few times, not realizing that you know what what may have happened is is exactly what happened to you. Um, and I and I now preach that to any of my friends that are swimming in the ocean. Make sure to always, like when you dive in a pool, always put your hands out in front of you and make sure that you know you can brace yourself and whatnot. So. Um, that's just sort of a public service announcement there. So Josh, after your friends get you out of the water, what what do you remember next? Uh, do they Does the ambulance come right onto the beach? Where do they take you and what are you initially told by the doctors?
1: I just I remember a, a, a crowd of people just surrounding my body and just everybody's standing over me. And um, my dad, my friends ended up getting my dad and he ran down and um, my dad saw the, the, crook in my neck. He immediately knew that I, I was, I had a spinal cord injury. Mm. And I kept on ask, telling my dad, cause it was our, our family vacation. I was very much looking forward to playing around a round of golf with him during the trip. And I was like, what about our tea time tomorrow? And he's like, uh. Josh, we're, we're, we're not going to make that one. Mm. And the next thing I know, I was on a stretcher. They ended up shutting the, the route, route one, I believe. Um, and a helicopter landed right on there and it put me on there. And the next thing I know, I was, I woke up 14 days later in a, in a trauma unit with a ventilator in my neck. Um, I wasn't able to, to speak for the next five weeks. And the only way I could communicate was by blinking with my eyes once for yes and twice for no. Wow. And, uh, it was just a start to a new life.
0: Unbelievable! You were—you don't remember two weeks, and, and in that time, th- did they do some surgery to stabilize your neck?
1: Yep, I had a fusion of my C four five uh, vertebra, and um, I basically, my sister was uh, was going to be going into her uh, junior year at Clemson University. Sure. And the first day I remember that I had any memories because I was on so many different. Drugs and different things that were, that were just keeping me under, um, and just kind of putting me into a daze.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I just remember my dad packed up her car that day, and that was that was two weeks after August first.
0: Wow, she's you know the memories that come back to you, right? Things that still stick out to you eighteen years later. That's a vivid memory that you have.
1: It was a, it was a weird memory because like you. You wake up or you're finally in it, but like you can't even speak.
2: Yeah.
1: You can't even just like want to just tell everybody how much you love them and mm. thank you for being around. But like the, the rules of the hospital system that are at, they only gave you like, like two to three hours of visiting time yeah. per day. Yeah. Like they, they changed that policy since, but like I, you know, being in the, in the trummy and, and being a, an 18 year old boy, like I, All I wanted to do was be surrounded by friends and family. And there I was stuck in a room, um, 21 hours out of the day.
0: Oh, it's terrible. And
1: by myself and not really being able to sleep because my, with my spinal cord injury, you can't, uh, hypothermia regulate. You can't, your body doesn't breathe like it used to through the skin. And regulating temperature was not easy. So I was always either, either extremely cold, extremely hot, struggling to like, to find my breath, even with the ventilator helping me,
0: you know, it's, um, but it's yeah, it's these. It's the other parts of that come along with a spinal cord injury. People just think, "Oh, is so and so going to walk?" They want to know if you're going to walk. They have no idea that y- you can't regulate your body temperature anymore. I, I'm the same way. My level is a C3 four, so I'm really high up as well. Um, and I have I can't go outside when it's too hot because you know you get dysreflexic, and who wants to stroke out? You know that that, that kind of stuff. So it's it's all the ancillary stuff that people. Don't don't even take into account that, like you know, you can't breathe on your own, or you can't regulate your temperature, or you know, all those other things that uh, that you certainly find out after you uh, if you get after you get dinged up like that. And you know, you mentioned family and friends. I know for one, um, I was 24 years old at the time, and the rehab hospital that I did my uh, spent my time at was probably a, a total of four miles from where I grew up, and so. I would have a ton of friends on weekends. There'd be about 15 or 20 guys that would come out of the city and watch college football with me all day long. We kind of took over the rotunda at Kessler. And so without tremendous friends like that and an amazing family, it would have been that much harder for me to to get through with, you know, a smile on my face and, and you know, the will to want to carry on. Did you, did you feed off of your family and friends as much as you could?
1: Absolutely. They, they were the foundation on which I could build my, my future off of. Um, they gave me hope. They gave me support. They gave me a fighting chance. And, um, it's just, you know, a spinal cord injury happens to an individual, but the truth is it happens to a community. It happens to everybody that, that is, is part of that person's life. Um, and being paralyzed below my shoulders. You know, I went from being an 18-year-old independent college athlete. Like, I was a college tennis player. I was serving up 120-mile-per-hour serves and, like, just dominating life with with physicality. And all of a sudden, I become paralyzed, and I'm I'm dependent on, on others to help me do the most basic things, to brush my teeth, to go into the bathroom. The bathing, the eating, like it's, there's a whole new world mm. and it's just, but with, with the right supports, it, it helped me from going, becoming physically paralyzed to, to battling the mental paralysis that can come with depression and with, with, you know, not knowing if life is worth fighting for. Yeah. Which I think everybody with a spinal cord injury has those moments yes where they're like thinking why me do i want to go on this and that but like for me my family and friends got me out of that so quickly they gave me kind of that dose of hope where i'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a way forward i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to continue to live a meaningful productive life full of love laughter and and just just experience in the world around
0: me. Yes. We're lucky to have uh, those support systems. I know you probably had some friends that you rehabbed with, and I know that I certainly did, that unfortunately did not have that background. And, you know, some people get lost in in the weeds, you know, they, they, they become um, consumed by their depression. And, you know, I lose track of some of them, but some of the people I, I still keep in touch with. And unfortunately, 30 years later, they're still kind of stuck in that rut. So, um, you know, it sounds like you were lucky enough. I was lucky enough and uh, to be able to, you know, see see through it that there, this is still something that you can participate in. And it's not a death sentence. You know, of course, nobody wants to have a spinal cord injury, but there is still so much that can be done. Uh, with the right attitude and the right people behind you. So you mentioned that you were a college athlete with 120 mile an hour serve. That I did not know. That, my friend, is very impressive. So as the athlete in you gets ready to get into the gym for PT and OT, what is the mindset? Do you sort of have that um, background of the athlete that's pushing you through?
1: Absolutely. So it's just so much of, of paralysis, rehabilitative, restorative therapy. Is to focus on both above and below your level of injury. Some programs just focus on what you're moving, and they have you do whatever you can that you actually physically can do voluntarily through your mind. But I'm a big believer that it's a whole body that you need to heal. There's a whole body that you need to take care of, and if you if you don't use it, you'll lose it. So like, I I've been doing a lot of functional electrical stimulation below my level of injury, above my level of injury, where they put electro pads on different body parts and do active movements with them. So I have a, an FBS bicycle that's um, called the RT300 that you wheel up to. You put 24 electrodes on your lower body and from the chest down. And through computerized software, it stimulates those exact muscles at the exact moment. Or if you do an upper body exercise from the waist up, it, it stimulates... 20 with 24 electrodes your upper body so you can ride a cycle with your arms and with my legs within an hour i can do anywhere from 10 to 12 miles wow um so and i love that technology of of doing standing frames with electrical stimulation but i'm i'm a big believer of um meeting science halfway so i'm going to keep my body as healthy as possible for when science does come with Some type of regenerative medicine therapy that can help you want to be ready gain functionality, and it's it is also being able to keep keep exercise below your level of injury creates padding between your skin and your bones. Having extra muscle on your butt, Mm -hmm. having good tone, um, having all that movement helps with circulation, with strengthening bone density. So having having an active lifestyle uh, even though you can't physically voluntarily move it with your mind it still does the body good.
0: Oh, absolutely. The old the old line move it or lose it is without a doubt completely true and I I sort of found that out when when covid rolled around unfortunately with every, when the world shut down I and a lot of folks like you and I in the, in the disabled community, were not able to get to uh, the rehab places where we needed to go and to get the stretching that we, that we needed the proper, you know, mechanics with, with moving our bodies here and there. And, and uh, I know I can speak for myself. I severely atrophied. My doctor said that I got deconditioned and, you know, I'm fighting city hall right now to try and get back to, to my baseline where I was. And it's, it's not easy. Um, but hopefully I can continue now that now that I'm back in P T and O T to get um as much of what I had prior to that beforehand. So I hear you one hundred percent that you gotta keep pushing each and every day.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So Absolutely. Josh,
0: tell tell us about law school. When did that um sort of come across your radar? Was that after you rehabbed and got out of the rehab facility?
1: So yeah, I just finished my freshman year of college. So when I came back home, um, first thing I did was I enrolled in a local community college and took a poetry course. I wanted to fig- basically get all the things that were on my mind out of me and just to be able to kind of figure out who I am. Am I still the same person? Am I what's different? Things of that nature. And I learned that I'm still me. I just got a new sexy wheelchair, to <laughs> new sexy wheels to, to, to roll around with. Nice. And um, decided that there's going to be um, a future ahead, and it can be a really beautiful one. I, I found a lot of mentors early on to show me what was possible. So there was this guy, Tim Strachan, who was injured 10 years earlier than me on the same beach. So I was injured in 2004. He was injured in the early 90s, mm-hmm. and basically he drove in the water, hit a sandbar, broke his neck. He went back to community college. He then went to undergrad, went to law school, uh, fell in love, got married, and had kids. I was like, if Tim can do it, I can do it too. So I ended up uh, joining the Maryland's Vocational Rehabilitative Program, which helps with paying for school, getting technology things of that sort, and and enrolled in school, and started doing really, really well. And um, after gradu- graduating at the University of Maryland, I uh, ended up enrolling in law school, and after three years, graduated magna cum laude with the top five in my class without ever flipping a page with my fingers.
0: That is um, unbelievable. Was that also from the University of Maryland?
1: That was, that was from the David A. Clark School of Law, so that's... The District of Columbia is a public interest law school.
0: Okay. Wow. Magna cum laude. Yep. Wow. I'll I'll uh, confess. I graduated from college. Radio's too loudy. Ah. Uh-huh. There oh boy, that's an oldie but goodie. That's amazing. So then, now, what is the mindset with the law degree? Are you Are you thinking at this point that you are going to go into helping with dis- uh, disability rights and helping people, um, you know, get some services that that maybe the government or that the the world out at, at large doesn't have for the community?
1: So I, I fell in law in love with torts. So I fell in love with. When you have somebody that's been injured and somebody else that was negligent that caused it to hold them accountable, and being able to get the quality, the, the improving their quality of life through dollars, which so much, so so many people know in the spinal cord community that this is the most expensive injury anybody could ever have or ask for. Um, it just alone just in the first three months of my injury, the hospital bill was nine hundred. Thousand dollars.
0: Oh my goodness! Um,
1: and as a high-level quadrupedic, it takes 100000 of dollars a year in nursing expenses, to just allow me to live independently. Mm. So I wanted to go down the road of being helping families that have been catastrophically injured. And so right now I'm a medical malpractice and a catastrophic injury attorney,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I've, I've been been helping families since 2013. Um, across the country, um, basically make sure that that those are held, persons are held accountable. And probably my one of my best skill sets is building out life care plans of knowing what it costs to live the most independent and meaningful lifestyle possible. Yeah. And how to make sure that dollars can be invested back into that person's life mm-hmm. through the people that cause the negligence. Mm-hmm. Um, And so that's something I've really enjoyed. Most attorneys are just nerds (laughs) and I love, I love nerds, but I get to be an empathetic nerd. Yes. I get to be a nerd that basically while a family is, you know, joins us, I'm able to kind of better understand what they're going through and provide more of those supports. And I'm I'm very good at navigating government supports Mm -hmm. and making sure getting all the independent living supports. In the community that they need, yes, not only to survive but to thrive, and it's it's one of those things that like it can be a very complicated system to navigate. But if you kind of follow uh, uh, the best kind of path, or the kind of the best there, there's little there's steps. If you if you follow the steps in the proper order and build it out, you people can get more out of their state programs if they know how to. Sure. Kind of play the game.
0: Absolutely, and and, and you're and able to do all this in, as you call it, you through your sexy wheelchair, right? Exactly.
1: <laughs> I get I get to do it through through the law firm, but I also get to do it through my nonprofit, which is determined to heal. And I I started that ten months after my injury. Obviously, ten years later, I became a, an attorney. Mm-hmm. But for those first ten years, um, and even to today, um, the foundation's thriving. Yeah. But we, we help mentor newly injured families to get them on the best path forward and answer all those unanswered questions. Sure. Um, we, and it was based on all the mentors I had early on that gave back to me. Like I wanted to find a way to give back. And that's when we started Spinalpedia. Yes. Which is the, the world's largest paralysis video mentoring network.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We now have over um, 23,000 plus videos broken down by physical functionality mm-hmm. and you put your exact movement in and you have anywhere from 500 to a thousand mentors within that world to show you what's possible
0: it's amazing and then
1: it, it becomes up to you to kind of you know you don't have to do it at all the way that they do it but they give you the ideas of you know what these are your options mm-hmm. now it's up to you to decide yeah. do you want to do it that way or do it a little differently mm-hmm. um there's no point to reinvent the wheel
0: yeah. You know, you're leading me into all of my next questions. First of all, you just sort of glossed over it. Determined to Heal Foundation. Tell us what that does. And as you said, you started that 10 months after your accident. Tell us a little bit more about that.
1: And so it's it's just, I got so frustrated that 10 months after my incident, I piled up all of this information, all of these resources, all of these different approaches to life that I wish I could have communicated back to myself within the first month or two months of my injury. I was like, what can we do to, make, to simplify this transition, to not, not make it so that those dark days take over your life and kind of give you that mental paralysis where you're stuck in your home for the next year to two to three, sometimes 10 years. Some people just like get stuck in their ways. And like, if we can get people information and supports in the early days to make sure they don't feel alone. Like what what can we do? Can we transform someone's life? And I've I've now mentored over fifteen hundred families one-on-one over the years. And I'm telling you, if you can get to families early on, you have the ability to transform the individual's lives, the family's lives. Um, just the whole the whole future of that person yeah. goes on a different trajectory. And it's just it's probably the the best thing I can tell you about my spinal cord injuries the friends that I've been able to make, the lifelong friends that I've been able to make through spinal cord injury, Mm. and to watch them grow and blossom in their futures and see them doing things that, you know, during those early days they didn't know were possible.
0: Right, now you mentioned mentoring uh, newly injured uh, folks and their families. What, you know, is some of the initial advice that you give to these families when you first sit down and have a conversation, what is what are you trying to convey to them, at least right in the beginning, about what they're facing?
1: So I, I let every every single newly injured person know that they need to become their own best advocate. Nobody's gonna fight harder for you than you're gonna fight for yourself over your lifetime. And you kind of I, I tell them that I since my injury, I got it into Sailing, adaptive sailing, um, and I kind of think of life as uh, as you need to become your own captain of the ship, where you get to kind of direct where you go in life. And along the way, it's important to so that you don't do it alone. You can have crewmates, you can have friends, you can have family members, you can have healthcare support providers. All those people can be your crew. To help guide you in the right direction, but you need to make sure that you tell them what direction you want to go in. And some people, you know, think of of, of asking for help as a weakness. It's absolutely the, it's the exact opposite of that. It's it's a strength. Doing doing life alone, especially with a spinal cord injury, is a recipe for disaster. And doing it alongside with other people, you can do incredibly beautiful things. And it's up to you. You're you're directing it. You. Become independent through others. You might, you might be relying on them to, to help you do, you know, certain things physically, but through them, you can do incredible things. And I also just, just tell families that before my injury, I did things one million ways. And after my injury, I now do it one million new ways, one million different ways. Yeah. It's just, it's a matter of having a willingness to try a level of creativity and just getting out there and doing it.
0: Yeah. I remember early on my, my OTs for the most part told me, John, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And uh, I still, I live by that. You know, it might be um, a different way to, to do something or other than, than how I did it before, but um, it gets the job done. You know, you, you, you find a way to, uh, to make things easier on yourself and working with what you still have left to, uh, to accomplish tasks. Josh, tell us about Spinalpedia. As I said, I found you um on Twitter because you always have some uplifting stories that you're bringing out there. you you highlight people that have been spinal cord injured that do amazing things. Um, and that's really the genesis of of the quadcast here is that I want to tell inspirational stories about people who have had terrible things happen to them, but they haven't let that define who they are. They've gone on to do wonderful things for themselves and others. So, Tell us, where did the idea come from? And you mentioned 23,000 videos. How do they get uploaded there? Do, do folks do that themselves? Do you do that? Um, tell us about the the nuts and bolts of Spinalpedia.
1: Spinalpedia was born out of the fact that, you know, being able to, to mentor families. Like I, After my injury, I created like a 130-page booklet of, of my life breaking down kind of the different worlds or did, the different things that I'm doing, how I do it. But it was very specific to my unique level of injury. on the a C4-5 quadriplegic. But one level above that, I, I could be on a ventilator. One level below that, I would begin to have the use of a new arm muscle group. Another level below that, a finger, another finger, another finger as you keep going down. And it's, it's just a, a different world at every level of injury which requires a a different mentor at every level of injury if you really want to show someone what's possible within their physical functionality. So knowing that, you know, after you create a video, it's forever and it gets uploaded, it's there. I wanted to find a way to categorize and subcategorize videos and then tag them based on physical functionality. So Spinalpedia was born in 2007. We started taking videos, myself, my friends, um, different team members, we start uploading videos. And now on Spinalpedia, all the videos come from, from YouTube. And, but we basically make it more searchable, more easily, easily, uh, friendly for people that are trying to find people within their unique world. And we upload the videos, our community members, where we have thousands upon thousands of community members of Spinalpedia within the paralysis world. We all come together as a community to have each other's backs and to let everyone know that we can learn from each other. Like, I've been at this now 18 years. Half of my life, I was walking on my two feet. Half of my life, I've been wheeling in those sexy wheels. (laughs) And the fact is, is that, you know, you think after mentoring 1,500 people, like, I'm the mentor. Like, all I do is mentor. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. Like, I'm learning every single day from the community I'm learning every single day from my mentors like its there's it, there's no point in life from the second that we have our first breath to our last breath there's always something to work there's always something right that we can do the second that we that we think we figured it all out that's that's just that's just a that ends up becoming a life where you you're gonna be stagnant and you just hit a ceiling yep the sky's the limit. It um, is. And it's... How about... So spinal? Spinal PD is just about kind of delivering those messages and,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and bringing people together.
0: Josh, regarding the feedback that, that you receive from, um, from the purveyors of the website, w- what do they tell you they find most beneficial? Is it the videos? Is it the testimonials? Some of the blogs that I've seen on there? W- what do they find to be most beneficial for um, their whole new horizon?
1: So it's just every single person's at a different place within their journey. So if you can able to reach somebody early on, that's one thing. If you're able to reach somebody two, five, ten years out, everybody's kind of at a different place in their journey. So with Spinalpedia, we try to create resources for every single person at every level of injury at every point of their journey. So like we have different learning portals that you can take on that, that creates a more of like a course-based kind of structure to learning. Then we have the videos where you can really dive in and and go from subcategory from category to subcategory. We have communities where you can communicate with people uh, that are in your unique world as well. And we have a little bit of everything that we try to like make it so that it's it's not just one path that you have to take. It's 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 your path that you get to take through the website.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's there's just always more that can be done from a learning standpoint. But then even more that can be done from an advocacy standpoint. Sure. Um, becoming your own best advocate means you need to learn about your future, life for your future. Mm-hmm. And right now, even with this being the 32nd anniversary this week, being the 32nd anniversary of the ADA, which was, you know, a incredible civil rights piece of legislation that broke down a lot of barriers that prevent that discrimination and acts of life and, public life in the state and local government um, and and there's so many different parts that the ADA has transformed public the public world. Mm-hmm. But even with that being said, there's so many barriers that still exist for people with disabilities um, that we need to keep fighting for right so that we have it not only can benefit us as individuals, but others and, and the future. Of 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 the country and the world, Mm -hmm. so So it's there's there's a lot there that I could touch upon later on.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: Josh, what do you love most about what you're doing now, and what are you most proud of?
1: Um, what I'm most proud of is is I I've I've never stopped training. I've always dreamed of. Kind of following in Tim Stracken's wheel tracks of being able to get through school, falling in love, and starting a family. And you know, I got through school. I went on on Stock.com and started online dating after my injury. And fell in love with with this woman, Katie. And uh, in February, um, Katie gave birth to my son, Calder, and now I'm a daddy. And it's everything that I've been dreaming of. And just being able to do that all while being paralyzed below my shoulders. Um I knew I knew it happened. I didn't know when. And I never stopped fighting for it. And um, you know, being a medical malpractice attorney and starting a consulting firm. i a, a non profit. It's just every, every time like you know, I feel like there's gonna be that says you can't do it. It's just like if you say to yourself you can do it and, and you have a willingness to figure out a way to make it happen, it still can happen. Um, And it's just life, life, is, life is really beautiful right now.
2: That's
0: tremendous. Congratulations on on the marriage and also the birth of your son. That's outstanding. That's good for you and your wife. I'm happy for you.
1: Thank you. So that's one more thing I would want to say. First, thank you on that. But like those barriers I talked about, like Katie's not my wife. Cause the second that we get married, I lose all my caregiving.
0: Oh, right.
1: So, so I actually am working with the governor in Maryland. I've been fighting the last three and a half years. Um, I this coming October, his administration has agreed for workers with disabilities Mm -hmm. to lift all income and asset limits which since becoming an attorney in 2013, I've not been able to pick one pay raise because of the rules. Uh. If I had one more dollar, I'd lose all my caregiving. So I got the governor to lift all income and asset limits. Um, He did not fully touch upon spousal inclusion. So currently, if you get married, you actually get punished financially or you can get kicked out of your, you'll be blocked from even getting into the program if you're married. So the, the the current rules would actually force you to get divorced, then to get in a program, and then remarry. But with all that being said, we're we're likely going to put forward legislation in January to the state state of Maryland to change that rule for spousal inclusion.
0: Wow. That's our wonderful government at work for us, right, Josh? Yeah. Yep. Oh, my goodness. I,
1: I can't is, wait for Katie to be my wife. So. Yes. I'll be great.
0: What is the old line where they say um, the four uh, – Worst wor- uh, words you can hear is "Hello, I'm from the government" or something like that. I know there's yeah. an old joke about that, but yeah, uh, all although all due respect, congratulations. That's that's a milestone in anyone's life, and I'm so glad Thank that you me. were able uh, to make that happen because I know it's tough following uh, these injuries to to find someone um, and also to then have a family, and that's that's outstanding. Thank you, John. Yeah. Now, how about what is next, not only for the website um, and the pushing of your law uh, for yourself and your family? What, what, what would you like to tackle next?
1: Um, I'm pushing out an app in the, in the States called Fuel Service. A friend of mine created it in Europe and the UK, and it connects drivers with disabilities to local gas stations. To help them fill up their gas tank and basically a robocall goes to the gas station so the driver with a disability is 10, 15 minutes away based on your GPS. Press one if you can help fill up your tank for them. Press two if you cannot. basically I've had too many friends of mine that are drivers with disabilities that basically get, get, they basically, they go from station to station honking the horn. Nobody will come out to help. Next thing you know, they run out of gas and on the side of the road.
2: Oh goodness!
1: This 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 app actually will allow communication to take place to make sure you get matched up with somebody that will help you. Yeah. And in the last year and a half, I brought it to the states because um, my friend couldn't kind of tap in the market. We went from zero stations to now over two thousand stations up and down the East Coast.
2: Wow! So it's.
1: I'm I'm excited to keep that number growing from 2,000 to 5,000 mm-hmm. to 10,000, hopefully 100,000 mm-hmm. across the country in the coming years. And what,
0: it's it, a, it's what, a, yeah, what is it called it, again? You broke up right when you said the name of the app.
1: It's called Fuel Service, all one word, Fuel Service. And it's on the App Store. It's in the Google uh, Play. Basically, any, any phone can use it. So I would recommend anybody to download it today and use it and – Especially if you're up and down the East Coast. And obviously, this is July 2022. So I got to get, hopefully, we're going to be uh, moving, moving out West in the, in the coming months and sure. years. Um, but, you know, being able to utilize it, you know, that it, it's again, it's like a bustle. If you don't use it, you lose it. Yes. So we yeah. got to get the gas stations to recognize that this is a valuable service and it's 100% free. That's trained that
0: That's one of the things that I'm lucky uh, living here in New Jersey is they have full service so when I pull into the gas station there's somebody there and they pump the gas for me so um, that that's one of the benefits of living here in the Garden State that I don't have to to fight that fight but I could see how that would be the case. I mean h- how do you get somebody to come out and and pump your gas if you can't do it yourself? Well now there's an app for that as the old uh, the old saying goes yeah. right? That's yep, tremendous. Exactly, Josh. Let me pick your brain as as someone who has eleven point eight thousand followers uh, on their Twitter account. Do you have any advice for a fifty four year old first time podcaster with inspirational stories to tell? How I can break through and and attract more visitors and listeners?
1: So it's 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 kind of part of the advocacy game of getting getting your friends, getting your friends and family members to share it and getting them to share it. So you create a viral sharing campaign is, is definitely one way to get it going, to be able to reach out to some of the larger nonprofits or the different places that have larger audience to retweet it, to repost it. That can go a long way. Um, unfortunately, the, the social media giants and behemoths of the world, they made it really easy, a lot easier for creators in the beginning days to grow their audiences, and now they make you play to pay, or pay to play. Yeah. So they're you know being able to come up with a budget to be able to put forward your your content also helps to expand it in the early days. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's the fun social media game.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Social media wasn't around when I was in school. <laughs> I'm a child of the '80s, so I uh, I've been told that I need to find some high school Person or somebody just in college to kind of help me put together um, a game plan as to how I can uh, really get this baby off the ground I have the today's episode will be my 41st um, and so there's there's enough content out there and and I think these stories are really worth hearing for folks especially you know some newly injured people um, and then people that maybe were not ready to accept their life, uh, their new life, those that first time around, but maybe after a couple of years have come around to the fact that, you know, things are different, but it's not the end of the world as you and I have gone over a few times here. Um, and so I'm hoping that I can get some more ears, uh, onto the product and, and hopefully, you know, change some attitudes and some minds and things like that. So I appreciate your advice there. And what I usually like to do, Josh, is I'll end my podcasts with a question um, and I'll tell you where it came about. I was waiting in the lobby for a doctor's appointment, this is probably about five years ago, with a dear friend of mine who unfortunately just passed away. Uh, He also had a spinal cord injury and the two of us were waiting to see our doctors and I just, I didn't realize I was talking so loud, but I said to him, I said, if I could snap my fingers right now and you would be completely able-bodied once again, what's the first thing you would do? And so he paused, and I could see the smoke coming in out of his ears because he was thinking of an answer. And then I heard from behind me a woman said, I would go out and garden in my backyard. And then I heard a guy back behind her say, I would go out into my garage and continue building cabinets. And then somebody else said something and I thought, oh my gosh, this is really a question that people have given some thought to. So I will pose that to you. If if I could snap my fingers right now and you would be completely able-bodied once again, what's the first thing that you would do, Josh?
1: I'd hold my son. And
0: that's That's a great answer. It's real, hug. you know. It's real. That's that's unbelievable. I I I didn't know I didn't know if you were going to go in that direction.
1: Yeah, no, I'd absolutely hold the little guy, even though he's doubled in size already. I'd hold him, I'd squeeze him, I'd kiss him. Yeah, and then I'd have my whole family join in on the hug
2: mm-hmm.
1: and feel it, feel everybody else.
0: Yeah, simple things. Joining in on the fun, right, Josh? The simple things in life. Absolutely. Yeah, that that so many of us take for granted. So um, that's a terrific answer, a heartfelt answer, and I appreciate um, I appreciate that from you. And speaking of appreciating, I, I want to thank you for your time. I know you're a busy man. Uh, I don't know if I'm keeping you out of the courtroom or or off of your social media platforms, but uh, I want to thank you so much for for coming on the Quadcast, telling us your story, and uh, how inspirational it all is. And uh, I look forward to continuing to follow you on Twitter and on your website. Um, And Josh Basil, thank you so much for coming on today.
1: Thank, Thank you. And thank you for the opportunity. It's great to be able to be a part of this podcast and to have your awesome listeners stay all the way to the end.
0: Never fear, my friend. My loyal listeners always hang in there till the bitter end. And that will do it for this week's edition of the Quadcast. Thanks again to Josh Basil for joining me. Please be sure to check out his amazing website, which is www.spinalpedia.com. As you learned during our conversation, it is chock full of information for the newly injured as well as those living with their disability for a number of years. Thank you for everything you do on behalf of our community, Josh, and continue your great work. A tip of the cap, as always, to the man who mixes this show so wonderfully, Chris Parapezco at Harbor Picture Company. Much obliged, Chris. And today, I figured I would let my dearest four legged friend sign us off. So, Yokin, the floor is yours, sir. For those of you that don't speak Golden Retriever Labrador mix, that was I'm John McAlevey, and I thank you for your time.